You may be seated. Do you have uh, treasured possessions? Maybe it's a photograph of a family member who is no longer with you, or perhaps an object that they had. There's a special connection we have with these remembrances of someone who is special uh, to us. Well, I have a number of these things. In fact, I have something from each of my four grandparents that, that have been gone for a number of years. For example, uh, Grandmother Reed, I have a wooden bowl that she used to make biscuits for 60 years every morning for Granddad. And boy, were those biscuits ever good. She made 13, the same size, not a crack in them, and molasses and butter is the recipe to make it all come together. It's a North Carolina boy back there. And then my uh, uh, grandmother Fussell, recently my mother uh, gave me a chair that was hers. And we have that chair in our home, the room where our new granddaughter stays when she comes to visit us. And then, Granddaddy Fossil. His hickory-handled hammer. He was a carpenter. And this was given to me some time ago by my mother. It's a treasured possession. And when I, I have this in my office, and when I see it, or when I hold it, I remember him. I have a special connection with my grandfather, though he died when I was very young. I only saw him one time. It was on his deathbed. But through the stories and through this hammer, don't worry. Unless you go to sleep, then worry. Through this hammer and this, the many stories my mother has told, I have a connection with my grandfather. And then I have something else from Grandfather Reed. I have a, his last South Carolina driver's license. This is a high-tech driver's license. It is a metal plate that goes on a keychain with all of uh, Alfred Ernest Reed's vital information on there, and no photograph, but maybe we ought to go back to this. Just think of all the things you have on your keychain. And every time I, I pick this up, I recall that probably every day of his life, you know, when he got this driver's license, he had this on his key ring in his pocket. My, my only hope is, well, I have many hopes, but one hope is that he never had to pull it out because a patrolman stopped him. And I thought this morning, if I got pulled over coming to church, I might pull this out. And then the elders would have to bail me out of prison, I'm sure. But think about it. We, we have photographs. We, we, we have things that our loved one used. And, and they're, they're treasured possessions, though inherently there's no value to these things, really. But to us, they mean so much. And we can remember those important, significant people in our past. 
but Jesus. You know, Jesus is a historical figure, isn't he? In fact, the definition of a historical... I better put this hammer down. I'm going to worry you folks terribly with this. But the definition of a historical figure is a famous person in human history. Now, my grandparents were not historical figures by that definition, but they were famous people to me. But Jesus is the most famous person in human history. Human history was changed and is being changed by him and will ultimately be brought to conclusion by him. I would say Jesus is a very important, the most famous historical figure. But here's what I want us to think about today. We do not need anything that Jesus ever used and touched. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, and I don't need his hammer to feel a connection to him. And Jesus traveled all over Israel, and I don't even need to walk in the place that he walked to have a connection with him, and I don't need to have his driver's license to have a special connection with him. And here's why. Jesus is more than an historical figure. He is God himself who came down, took a human nature, born of woman, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in the place of sinners, was buried, raised in glory and ascended and reigns and will come again. We don't need objects that he might have touched like some who might claim they have a piece of the cross or the, a sh the burial shroud of Jesus. We don't need any of that. We have him. He's risen indeed. And there were two disciples who on resurrection day, the first resurrection day, they had been a part of all that had transpired that week, and they were walking from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. And I want to suggest to us today that their walk is very similar to what we experience as we walk with Jesus today. Three things that their walk was one of being disappointed. You'll find a sermon outline and you can look to that. And let's just be upfront about the matter. They were disappointed in Jesus. And secondly, their walk was one of disbelief. They just simply could not get their heads around what had happened that week. And then thirdly, their walk was one of renewed, restored, growing faith. And that describes our walk with Jesus even today. I want to read this passage of Scripture for us, and then I would like to pray. Well, I will pray, then I'll read this passage of Scripture. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you and and just look at a wonderful passage like this on this Easter Sunday morning and reflect upon the hope that we have in you. I pray, O oh Lord, that, that you would work deeply in our hearts. 
and strengthen our faith. And that like these two disciples, every day we would come to the place of shouting, even if it be in our hearts, He has risen indeed. That we might live in light of that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24, and beginning with verse 13, we'll read to the end of this section. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. And now our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Walking with Jesus in disappointment. Well, here's the context. That very day we read in verse 13. The specific day is clear to us. It is the day where in the morning the women that were part of the company of the disciples ran to the tomb where Jesus' body was hastily put to finish the burial preparations because being crucified on Friday, quickly buried, 
The Sabbath day, they could not prepare the body, and so they went that first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, to complete the burial preparation of Jesus' body. And later on that very day, that, that first Easter day, Cleopas and one unnamed disciple, they were tra traveling from Jerusalem to this village about seven miles away. We're not certain where that village was located. And what were they doing in Jerusalem? Once again, I think the story is very clear that they were there celebrating Passover. They could have been there for the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. They could have been there at that Passover meal in the upper room. Most likely they were there at the foot of the cross as our Lord was crucified. And they were there in Jerusalem hiding with the rest of the disciples on Easter morning. And then they began the journey home. And the two travelers were discussing. The text says in verse 14, all these things which had happened. And we don't have to think very hard to think, what were they discussing? Jesus, his coming to Jerusalem, his breaking the bread and giving the cup there at that Passover meal, instituting the Lord's Supper. Jesus giving the new command to serve one another as I have served you. Jesus, the trial, false accusations, betrayal, going to the cross, suffering an agonizing death, and his body placed in the tomb. They were discussing these things, verses 19 through 22. And then the stranger approaches them on the way and joins in on the conversation, asking, in verse 17, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other? And they were amazed over such a question because surely if everyone in Jerusalem knew what had taken place in these many days. And their countenance spoke volumes. They stood still, the text says, looking sad. They were disappointed with Jesus. Look at verse 21. They said this, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you see the disappointment there? These two disciples were, were among the, the, the group of disciples that had probably followed Jesus for three years. And Jesus, on at least three occasions, and perhaps more, spoke of his death, burial, and resurrection. And what's amazing is that earlier in that morning, as the disciples were there in Jerusalem... The two disciples that were on the Emmaus Road being part of this group, they sent some of the disciples to go and verify what the women had reported earlier that morning. And if you look at verse 24, you'll find the disciples came back to the group of disciples there in Jerusalem, but him they did not see. And that really is an amazing statement. The way I take this text is that these two disciples didn't get it even after the tomb was found empty. 
Had Jesus' body been misplaced? Had it been stolen? And, and the statement in verse 21 shows that we had hoped that he was the one. And they were sad. All that had happened that week, from our perspective, is incredible hope, isn't it? But we had hoped, in verse 24, from the two disciples, their perspective was Jesus was a disappointment. There was a failed hope. Jesus had actually, perhaps we could conjecture, had failed them. Well, have you ever been disappointed by Jesus? If I hadn't said anything and just simply started the service today saying, have you been disappointed by Jesus? I'm pretty sure no one would have raised their hand. Who, on, who in the world would admit that? Well, I want to admit that. I've been disappointed by Jesus. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I guess I just disappoint. I find greater struggle with being disappointed the older I get. There are more years behind me than there are before me. Do I have any with me? Anybody else like that? Life has not turned out exactly as I'd hoped. Circumstance, circumstances have brought twists and turns. My own sin and foolishness have complicated things. People have disappointed me, and I have been a disappointment to people. World events are disappointing to me. Suffering and sickness, though I've suffered and been sick very little compared to so many, but I even find that I've been disappointed by that. My progress in the Christian life has been disappointing to me sometimes. Come on, Lord, you want me to grow as a Christian? Why, do I, why can't you just deal with this, this sin I keep struggling with? Have you ever had that thought? But here's the deal. When we are disappointed, life hasn't turned out like I had hoped it would be. I'm not saying all disappointments are like this. I'm saying some categories of disappointments are like this. In reality, we're disappointed with Jesus, and that means we're disappointed with the will of God and his purposes for us. The two men were walking with Jesus, even though they did not recognize him. They're on that road to the village of Emmaus, and they were expressing disappointment in Jesus because he had not turned out to be the type of Messiah they, they had hoped that he would be. Have you ever been disappointed with Jesus? Think about your life, as I've been forced to think about mine. And I suspect most of you would answer that question, yes. I've been disappointed with God's purposes and his will for me. Well, I believe that, that Jesus came and asked the questions that he asked and engaged these two men in conversation as he did to point out the very fact 
that they were disappointed, and then to deal with the root of their disappointment. See, the real issue was not that they were disappointed in Jesus. There was something more profound going on, something in their heart. They were walking with Jesus. They were really walking with Jesus, but they were walking in disbelief, verses 25 through 27. The text says that their eyes prevented them from seeing Jesus. And I think that's another way of saying that the, that the, the faith crisis in their own heart is what blinded them to seeing the reality of Jesus. And we know that they had a problem of, of faith, a crisis of faith, of, because of what Jesus says in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. I mean, the, the, the central message of the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken, according to Jesus, is found in verse 26. Jesus saying, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? The sufferings of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus says, he summarizes the teaching of the prophets by those two things. You think about the truth of the scriptures in the Old Testament declares these things about Jesus. Think of the, the passage from Isaiah that Steve wrote that, that talks about the death and the atoning work of Jesus, the suffering servant, as well as his resurrection. There in the verses that Steve wrote at the end of that great, great passage. And so these disciples were disappointed because they were struggling to believe the scriptures, the holy word of God, the promises of God, the truth about Jesus And Jesus rebuked them in verse 25. He rebuked them for doubting the scriptures. He rebuked them from doubting him because Jesus had taught about these things throughout his earthly ministry. If you really want to talk about disappointment, <laughs> think of Jesus. With three years of ministry to these disciples... Speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection on occasions, and the tomb being empty, these two disciples are still struggling to believe. Think about being disappointed. Think of Jesus being disappointed with his slow and hard-hearted disciples. But yet, how does Jesus respond? You know, does he just come down hard on them? He did re rebuke them for this functional disbelief, but he also tenderly corrects them. He is the good shepherd. There with these wayward sheep who are struggling to understand all that has transpired. And so Jesus has a little Sunday school class with his disciples there on the road to Emmaus. And look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Maybe Jesus reminded them of the first Passover and the Exodus event. Maybe he reminded them 
that there was a, a Passover lamb and that he was that Passover lamb who was slain for sinners. Maybe he took them to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 12, the passage Steve read. And, and maybe there Jesus was, was pointing out the fact that, that he was that, that lamb who was taken to slaughter without making a sound. He is the one who bore the stripes that we deserve, but in our place. He was the one that made atonement for us, to justify us, and he was the one. As Isaiah tells us, that will see his people, resurrection. The passage in Isaiah is a powerful declaration of Jesus and all that took place that first Easter week. Moses and the prophets point to Jesus. And we experienced this Thursday evening as we gathered for the Monday Thursday service and we reenacted what has become known as a Seder meal that's based on the symbolism in the Passover event. And, and point by point, we see these beautiful scriptures from the Old Testament that point so clearly to Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures foreshadow Jesus and Jesus was teaching those disciples about himself on the road to Emmaus. You know, as we walk with Jesus in our disappointment, due to our disbelief, we need a lesson about Jesus. Let me give you, explain what I'm saying by, by this. There was a point in time where I experienced some real disappointment. And it was about, it was over the last two or three years, two or three years ago. And to be perfectly frank with you, I was disappointed about how ministry was turning out for me. And it was a disappointment about my calling. Now, I don't want anybody to be disturbed over that, but I, why should I hide that? Why should I keep from you? the fact that I struggle just like you do and just like these two disciples struggled. And I thought, well, maybe I just need to throw in the towel, give it up. I was reading in Matthew chapter 8 and of all passages, it was Jesus encountering the leper and Jesus engaging that leper and healing that leper. Jesus said to the two disciples, you're disappointed because you have disbelief in your heart and the remedy is my word about me. I was disappointed not trusting Jesus and functional disbelief and the remedy was seeing Jesus afresh in the Word of God. And that morning and the mornings that followed, just sitting as a student, as it were, with Jesus in that text was a healing balm to my heart and refreshing to my soul. And it is a point in history 
in my life that is a turning point. Did not see a vision. I was not seeing a counselor that morning. I did not have a book from the bookstore about how to be a better pastor, how to lead with a limp. Didn't read that. Jesus in his word. Today you may be here in disbelief, and it is not functional disbelief, but disbelief. You simply don't buy all this stuff about Jesus and the Christian life. And if that describes you, I am so glad that you are here because the remedy for you is to encounter Jesus in his word. And I would just simply ask you, with all of your questions, with all of your skepticism, with all of your disbelief, pick up a Bible and begin reading the Gospels. Begin reading about Jesus. And like Jesus taught those two disciples and guided them on that journey to the Emmaus Road, I'd be honored to sit down with you and together Let's seek to see Jesus in his word. And you may be one like me who struggles with disappointment, recognizing that most likely it's because of functional disbelief in your heart. The remedy's the same. See Jesus in his word and find healing and wholeness and find restoration, find faith renewed and strengthened. Find grace. A faith crisis calls for scripture. And then walking with Jesus by by faith. Our our disbelief fuels our disappointments and we are prevented from seeing Jesus because of our disbelief, even though we're walking with him uh, today. We're we're living by sight in, in functional unbelief. And we can be so fixated on the circumstances of life that cause discouragement and disappointment. And I just remember one day years ago I was flying. In fact, I had to fly back on a Sunday morning back to Covenant to preach. Some years ago I had to be at home, I believe, for my sister's wedding that I did that weekend and came back early Sunday morning. And it was just one of those just cloudy, dreary winter mornings and we took off it was really early in the morning and I remember as the plane climbed out from Greensboro we broke through the clouds what I experienced was the most beautiful sunset that I've ever seen and just reminded me of how I can be so fixated on the clouds and the circumstances and find myself focused on them finding myself functionally disbelieving Jesus and the disappointment and discouragement begins to flow in the whole time the sun is shining beyond the clouds. Because of the resurrection, we walk with Jesus today as real as those two disciples walk with him. But our walk with Jesus today is by faith. Look at verses 28 through 29. They are nearing the the village of Emmaus. It's late in the day. Jesus is 
showing signals that he's going to continue journeying. They talked Jesus into staying with them in the village. And so they find themselves at a table. And when Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broken, and gave it to them, verse 30, when Jesus performed this sacramental action, the same one that he performed Thursday there at the Last Supper, their, their eyes were open. Their disbelief melted away. They recognized him, verse 31. Not only did Jesus teach them about himself from Scripture, verse 27, but he demonstrated his atoning work there by breaking bread, blessing it, and giving it to them. It reminded these disciples of that Passover celebration that in that foot-washing ceremony where Jesus demonstrated the love that he had, that he would give himself in service to his people. And their disbelief vanquished, disappointment dispelled. They broke through the cloud and they saw this, this glorious sunrise. They, they beheld Jesus. And they delighted in this. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. I think we see a, a couple of ways that these two disciples were in true delight verse, in, in verses 32 through 35. Verse 32, they said that when we were walking on the man's road and Jesus was teaching us, our hearts burned within, meaning that the power and penetrating, transforming work of God's word was in, being impressed upon their hearts. And in that very hour, we see that they, uh, Jesus disappeared and they got up and they couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem, even though it was very late in the day. In verse 34, they ran back to announce, He is risen indeed. Well, for you and me today, just as we consider the walk of these two disciples and disappointment and disbelief, but by God's grace, they wound up with renewed faith delight in the fact that Jesus is not merely a historical figure. Jesus is one that we can connect with today and we don't need anything that he ever touched. We don't need to walk where he physically walked by faith. He is present with us and by faith we walk with him and the two disciples show us that the natural response to walking with Jesus by faith is this glorious pronouncement he is risen indeed and that should be reflected in how we live that should be reflected in what we say that is the good news that should drive us each and every day, the reality of the risen Christ who is with us and who is empowering us today. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come now and be reminded of these glorious truths about your goodness and your grace, your loving mercies towards us. 
And Father, I pray that you might show us that in some ways we may very well be disappointed with your will for us, that we would be directed to see that this is because of disbelief in the heart. And, oh, Father, that you might deal with that disbelief, melt it away as we encounter the truth about Jesus in your word and that we might come again to that place of, of delighting in the reality of walking with Jesus today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We pray this in his name. Amen.